0: That's one small step for brands, one giant leap for brand kind. You're listening to Food Chain, presented by Purphy. A big thank you to this episode's sponsor, Triple Whale. Triple Whale's powerful analytics platform clarifies your ad performance across channels, keeping you instantly in the know. Hit the link in the show notes and use promo code PERFY for 15% off today. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Food Chain. Today we have Justin Queen from Snack Magic with us. Justin, welcome to the show. Thanks Fasa. How's it going? Great, man. I'm excited to chat. Snack Magic has been a huge tool for me early on in the first year building PERFY and it's great to have you on the show to dive in deeper on what Snack Magic does. Awesome. Always glad to hear things and thanks for having me. Of course. Before we get into snack magic, you have a production experience and history in the past before you went to snack magic or stadium. Tell me more about that and how that led you to snack magic and how those skills might intertwine.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So when I first graduated college in 2015, I ended up working in the film and television world. For a time there in my past life, I thought about being like a writer or producer of sorts. So I got it from the ground up being a production assistant on a lot of film and television throughout New York. works for a lot of shows and a lot of big networks, Showtime, HBO, NBC, Fox, things of that nature. It's a grind. I think anyone who's ever worked in the production industry in any capacity would tell you it's really glamorous for the people who are on screen. And for the people who are below the fold or behind the camera, it's a ton of work. And more often than not, it's like a blue-collar job almost where you're working... Anywhere from 12 to 15 hour days, you're outside a lot of time, unless you're like in the studio, you're running around, there's a ton of stuff to manage and there's just a million moving parts. And it can sometimes feel like a thankless job, which I'm sure a lot of people in the CPG industry can maybe relate to, right? Where you you wear a lot of hats and sometimes it it feels a little thankless, but it's amazing to see the end product and be a part of obviously something much bigger than yourself and witness it come together and to see it eventually, whether you're in the show or whether you watch a movie and you're like, oh, I remember... Seeing that being filmed, or I remember that day, it's a really cool experience. And how it led me to the universe like magic is pretty serendipitous. I don't know if there's any connection at all. I, I one day was working and I don't remember what show it was. And I, I, there's not like NDEs or anything at this point. I can mention any of the shows I worked on, but it may have been Power at the time, which is like a big star show. I don't know if you're familiar, but season wrap. And I was like, you know what? I don't know if I can continue doing this. A little bit of background. I do not go too in depth into it, but the pathway to matriculate up through the ranks, so to speak, in the production world, at least on, there's a bunch of different sides and a bunch of different teams within the film world. But to be a first AD or a second AD and kind of work your way up, up that side and be like running the set day to day, so to speak, you have to put in a certain number of hours, work in a certain number of different jobs working at a couple different capacities and how I think it's 500 or 600 days under your belt before you can even apply to be part of the guild. It's called the Directors Guild of America. I mean, they run all the first and ADBs and directors and things. I was working my way up. I, I think eventually I was like, you know what? Maybe this isn't the path for me. It may have been too many 15 degree days in, in New York City standing outside for 15 hours and going to sleep at three in the morning and waking up at six in the morning to be back on set. But I decided maybe I should hope I'd agree to use and. and try to do something else. And I always had a passion about food, and I loved like the food culture and the food industry. And Stadium at that time, yeah, I'm sure a lot of people don't know, but we were a corporate catering company in New York City. So I was looking around for jobs and I stumbled upon this startup. I thought I wanted to get into the startup world because um, I had that same spirit and that same grit as working in production. And it was a really interesting company. Basically what we were doing was, We were consolidating dishes from all different restaurants throughout New York City. So let's say, and it was obviously corporate lunches. So it's like you were having a meeting and you wanted sushi and your friend wanted pizza and somebody else wanted a sandwich from three different restaurants. We would go out, get all those different dishes, kit it and pack it together, and then send it to one location, which I was just like fascinated by. And I was I was. Couldn't put in my mind how that this was happening and what they were doing to make it all work and all these movie pieces. And then cut to obviously we had a, a large CPG arm as well about uh, pantry products and snacks and you know, shelf stable goods. And then fast forward to 2020 when COVID hit and corporate catering went to zero. Obviously, as I'm sure you can kind of imagine, as everyone started to work from home, which led
0: to the inception of Snack Magic and you know, where we are today. Awesome. I've got a few questions on that. First, does AD stand for Art Director or Associate Director? What does AD mean?
1: assistant director so, so there's a couple of different assistant directors and there's actually yeah and there's
0: actually like teams so there's pairs of assistant directors and then the directors guild is that the same directors guild from team america <laughs> <laughs>
1: it, it might be i don't know team america came out when i was way younger i'm sure nothing's changed between that and, and when i started
0: working all right maybe don't watch that one then if you are <laughs> oh, oh i watched it i
1: was probably 13
0: maybe i first saw it <laughs> perfect time to watch it so you went to film school <laughs> yeah exactly did all of that
1: i went to just regular undergrad liberal arts education i didn't go to film school the way i entered film was uh, i knew somebody who was working in the industry and when i came out of college i was like oh they're not really interested kind of started and tried my hand out and, and working a couple of different jobs in it i decided to give it a go and then uh, eventually i decided to follow by my degree
0: there we go i actually didn't do anything with my degree for quite some time and be honest i don't even know if i'm doing anything with my degree to this day but it, yeah, is, what it is yeah Thank yeah for sure right good no i was just said who knows if you know anything
1: necessarily qualifies as doing something with your degree especially like a liberal arts degree.
0: yeah i think any listeners that have listened to this show in the past know that i worked some really odd jobs when i graduated from college and i this is a memory that you unlocked when you started talking about like the craft services type thing i remember i took i think it was a one-day job or a two-day job it, there's like a studio on Rosecrans in Manhattan beach near the gym. And by the, WeWork. I don't think those things existed then, but I remember I, I helped some craft services group and this guy helped me like, we, we drove all over LA dropping off food to a bunch of different studios. I think it was. And they taught me this random thing. I don't remember it anymore, but you're going down a certain direction of a street. Like there's certain numbers like that are odd or even based on the direction you're going. And then, if you're going like west or east, there's these other secrets. And that's how would, we didn't even have Waze or Google Maps back then. It was all MapQuest, and they just remembered all of LA by these different little gadgets, them random tidbit that just unlocked the memory by you telling me that.
1: Yeah. That's, I, I, there was one day on set, and it was pretty early on in, in my quote unquote career. And uh, one of the assistant directors had said, I'm the northeast corner of you know, 14th Street. And somebody said, What corner is that? And he's like, if you don't know your northeast, southwest quarters, like you can't work here. It's like, all right, I get it to a degree, but not everybody knows exactly where they are in the city of the whole time.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm just the worst at that sort of thing. Anytime I take tests, the worst place I do is when you have to fold, map, or fold pieces of paper and know where it touches on the other side. And maps are definitely one of those weaknesses where I have no freaking clue. I would have failed <laughs> yeah. as a sailor yeah. back in the day. Oh, for sure. Likewise. All right. So let's dive deeper into snack magic. What is snack magic for anybody that has no clue what it is? Sure. So Snack
1: Magic is a big piece of an even bigger pie, but basically Snack Magic is a corporate gifting platform. So it's an employee gifting, recognition, wellness, you know, incentivization platform also, if you will. So we set out to be a sort of one-stop shop for employee recognition, employee gifting, whether it's somebody obviously in the B2B space, gifting their team, whether they're gifting potential sales prospects, whether they're gifting a coworker, worker uh, whatever it may be, you know, work anniversaries, new hires, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we want to make that a really fun and unique experience for the gift recipient and make it really seamless and even enjoyable to use for the gift givers. We as a company, a larger company, Steve, um, have a couple of different verticals underneath our belt, one of which being snack magic, which was how we got our start and is our hero problem. And that's our CPG arm. We also have a sister company called Swag Magic, which, of course, as you can imagine, is corporate branded um, and on demand swag. We also have Department of Superior Dishes, which is um, like regional delicacies and dishes from restaurants throughout the United States that we, we can ship for con- consumers. And then we have another platform that is a like virtual wellness platform. So it's like team building opportunities and workshops and things of that nature. And that's called, um, and then Stadium as a whole is just, a suite of employee recognition, work perks, HR, wellness programs. Is the third one like gold belly? Yeah. For a lot of the
0: other words, yeah, you hit it out of the nail of the head there. I always see like a frame of reference. That's very good. I'm only familiar with the Snack Magic component of the umbrella. I think it's been a huge tool for Perfy early on. I'll dive deeper into more questions on Snack Magic to help others that may be thinking about leveraging it. I do think that one of the pitfalls in Founder kind of ideologies, I think there's places where you can take a hit uh, in terms of being profitable and at oh, being an agency owner as well. I've worked with so many brands that have thought about it and they've always said, you know, there's no path to profitability. It's X, Y, and Z, but I do think there's value. So let's say it costs you, let's, say, let's just say you're in the hole, to keep it simple. I think there's value in the data that mm. Stack Magic has because of CPG polls, which we'll get to in a minute, but there's data that sure. I couldn't have get, gotten or reviews or feedback or customer sentiment, or those things that I've applied from Stack Magic reviews in our messaging that was invaluable. And on top of that, I'll be honest, I our one point our label wasn't my favorite and Stack Magic was a way for me to exhaust inventory. And it's not wasn't distressed inventory. It's not like it was like a month left of expiration date. It was inventory that I didn't want to be on the shelves of dream retailers. And I was able to get a couple of Things from it: one, the data; two, see, like the data being like very specific, like where you rank in in your category, which can be used to then leverage your sales deck for other retailers that are goals of yours. And the second component was to get rid of some inventory. But I will say this: for any brands out there that are thinking about working with Snack Magic, you've got to find a fine balance of your inventory levels. Only so much can be delivered at once. In for beverage, I'm shipping heavy weight. I exhaust inventory and then like you're at the leaderboard and then your inventory goes down so you're at the bottom of it and then you replenish and you're at the top and then you're out and then you so it's very hard to manage that that's one of the one of the pitfalls i think that stack magic is a very valuable platform that i leveraged early on to help me get the things i needed and i'm super grateful
1: no i I appreciate the words and, and also the feedback and I think that's definitely true, right? There are a lot of peaks and valleys, and especially since our leaderboard is day over, um, let's say you're in stock on Monday and you're out of stock on Tuesday, obviously you're gonna fall off that leaderboard. Um, one thing that we try to do on our end, which we're not, we're not from, is, uh, which I know you know about, but is the dynamic capacity range. As you sell more, you're granted more capacity, but of course, you know, as a catch-22 is how much you're gonna ship is. So you can sell more, so you can get that, that high, high dynamic kind of response level for the capacity. But as far as the data go, uh, yeah, I think that, you know, sort of the genesis of us building out CPG policy. Of course, we're sitting on a lot of data and a lot of ground. I would love to kind of what your consumers are saying or who your consumers are and, and where my product is going. And for a lot of brands, you know, maybe such as yourself who are in the earlier stages or even a little bit more established. Um, one, I think that this is a really unique sales channel and it's a really unique audience. I think a lot of brands are looking for that B2B audience and to break into that demographic. Uh, that's not to say a B2C audience as well, but of course that B2B audience is not high. But for brands early on, they maybe are in a lot of doors where they can pull syndicated data, or they don't have the money to pull the syndicated data, or they don't have the time to sit down and understand what this means for them and how they can actually utilize that data, right? It's not the most user-friendly in a lot of cases. What we set out to do is to give brands a place to A, digest their data really easily, understand what's relevant to them, decide what's relevant to them, right? Whether it's trends and rankings, whether it's category comparisons, seeing how you stack up, you know, all beverages, or, if, you know, you just want to look against functional beverages, for example, and understand where you are within your subcategory, uh, being able to do competitive analysis against your peers. So, you know, I'm on shelf with this other functional beverage in these retailers, or I'm hopefully going to be, how are they doing on Stack Magic versus, um, and that's something that you can go, and you know, build your brand and pitch your story into retailers or into buy out? and say, hey, whether you're adding it to your sell sheet or you're adding it to your pitch deck and say, hey, you no, know, I'm maybe not in a lot of doors against this other brand, but this is how I stack up against Stack Magic against a brand that you say is doing well on your shelf. Like, I know there's not for me to perform just as well, if not better. Um, or even looking for collaboration opportunities, right? What we've seen is, there's, especially in the past year, you probably know better than I do, but there's been a ton of really unique cross-collaboration from brands that you maybe wouldn't expect But that's another thing, right? Where you've seen brands who say, hey, like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that this brand was also doing something similar to myself. Maybe we should reach out. Maybe there's a synergy there. Piggyback off each other, do a flavor run together whenever that be, Um, which I think is a really unique
0: opportunity. What are some of your favorite brand collabs that you've seen? And I'm not talking like Instagram giveaways, but actual like co-branded products. Mm -hmm. An example that I can think of in my head is Fishwife and Graza.
1: Yes, that was a really interesting um, this is like a shameless plug, but I thought like the odd uh, one was really interesting. I think a really interesting market to break into, especially because that's like a little bit more kid-friendly. And you could argue like that's a demographic that they maybe were trying to hit. You know, parents buying it for their kids and as a an healthy alternative, right? Similar to almost like... um. I also thought that the... Uh, I'm going to blank on who they did it with. But Lesser Evil did an interesting collab. Right. With, uh, with Ron. Yeah, with a, a sweet popcorn, the cherry lime flavor, which I thought was... Again, not something that you would ever imagine wanting or seeing, but there's something about seeing. Like, that's something I, I guess I asked. About, which I thought was really interesting.
0: I think there's a few others out there. I think what Sandro's is doing at Sanzo is pretty ridiculous in a good way. I always use the word ridiculous in like the best way possible. Thirty-eight at the garden with Asian pear, brilliant. What with uh, Jeremy Lin. Yeah. Yeah, that was really who cool. so else he did a, he did something with a Marvel movie. I forget what it was called, but another great co-brand. I think he's done a couple of those. That was cool. I think I think the most epic one, and if I don't say it, I'm going to kick myself in the butt. I finally remember it. <laughs> Hidden Valley Ranch and Truff broke the internet. Uh, a, yeah, that, that broke the internet. I don't can't think of anything that topped that recently. I know there's good stuff in the works between brands. Shoot. I can't think of anything else off the top of my head, but that one, I think would takes the cake. That was, that was
1: a great one. This is a, um, you know, not even for our um, um, NBC, um, and all those, uh, she put, you know, in combination with us, uh, deck. And I don't remember exactly which one, um, I'll have to get you that, uh, but she did a whole amazing slide with all these really cool collaborations that a
0: lot of them, uh, it was, you know, highlighting a lot of those ones that I'm sure we missed. We gotta link that in the show notes if you can. If you can find that, and send that. And P.S. Love Amrit, yeah. she's the best. If you're listening, you're the best. But let's. How did CPG Pulse come to be? And again, that's work of you guys working with Amrit. And how are you guys leveraging that today? For and what's what's in the pipeline?
1: Sure. So how CPG Pulse came to be. In- You know, we sat down as a team internally, you know, we have this data and we were doing some things to showcase the, um, obviously we have a brand portal that brands use. So we were giving them bits and pieces of this data and we decided to build out a first party proprietary platform that would warehouse all this data and they're really, and we set out to, again, make it super user friendly. So people who were not very data centric or didn't really want to spend time digging into hyper analytical dashboards and diving into all these different filters, um, you know, we wanted to make it digestible for both parties, right? If you are really analytical, you can go into all those different dashboards, play around with, with the filters and get as deep as you want. And if you're not we want to give you a platform that you can come around, you know, 10, 15 minutes, say, okay, I just digested a ton of information. It was really easy for me to understand. And now I can turn this into actionable. Alongside of that, we also were building out a sampling and experimentation program. So, for brands, and what we are, again, what, um learning point for us was that brands, of course, during COVID were missing in store demos, and there was not a great way to sample products online. For those who don't know, one of the values of, of Snack Magic is that we do single products. So, in an e commerce setting, it's almost impossible for a consumer to get a single unit of your product. And, you know, you're spending a, a good amount of money driving traffic to your website and hoping for a conversion on a six or 12 pack, which for our new consumers always, um, so for us giving consumers a way to try products at a single unit, um, and lower that barrier. Of, uh, I mean, that we, we really pride ourselves on and, uh, just in, and the, you know, awareness factor of, Hey, I can buy 20 different products and discover 20 new brands that I maybe would not have otherwise discovered who are in my local, right. The other thing is that we're nationwide, so somebody who is in, let's say, oh man, I hope I don't get flagged for this, but like somebody who is in Kansas or Kentucky or somewhere who maybe you're on the shelves and they're a local retailer, they maybe have never been exposed to your brand. Um, and it's something that they can discover through SEDGIC and, and try. Sorry, that was a, a little bit of back. Um, what we heard from, you know, sampling and commerce is, is really tough. And I don't really necessarily want to be thrown in a box of samples and not hit, a engaged consumer or a target demo that isn't looking for a product. Um, So we kind of took that and ran with it. You know, I think with all of our different form factors, we could build out a really unique sampling experimentation tool where brands can, with a really low entry and and low risk, say, hey, I have this new flavor I'm thinking trying, you know, maybe I send it out to my email subscriber list and I ask them what their thoughts were, but I would love to do like a limited push run and, and get it out there and get feedback like who are these consumers who are trying it what are they saying you know what are their likes dislikes ratings um and they were also working on building out post-purchase behavior questions so you you know a brand can say i'm trying to have this new flavor i'm not really sure about it maybe the text little like i'm not it's not my favorite just yet right like this 1.0 packaging maybe isn't my favorite but i kind of want to see what the feedback is so like you know giving brands the opportunity to ask, you know what is your understanding of this messaging on my label like do you get? Yeah, you the know, function or, or the purpose of this product is. What do you think about the taste? What do you think about the texture? Would you buy this? Um, and getting brands a playground to really experiment and try new products before they bring it to market or they bring it to
0: scale or they say, Hey, this is ready for me to, like you said, go into my dream. I've got a lot to unpack here. I'm going to start with, I'm gonna start with positioning. So on one hand, Snack Magic is a place for discovering things. It's a place for sampling on the brand side, discovery for the customer. But at the heart of things stadium is an employee perks company how do you balance the messaging between being discovery for consumers and then also your main customer is probably you know corporate businesses that are taking care of their employees how do you manage that message
1: um so i think that what we've seen is that of course you're going to get certain consumers who are like where the Frito lay Where are these products, right? But I think what we've seen is that, and I'm sure you and, and others who are like, I, you know, your product is probably a great fit for a B2B audience, employees who are looking for them. what we've seen is that our recipients and the people who are redeeming gifts and interacting with our platform and even organizers are not only like really receptive, but often excited about trying new products. And of course, you know, for them, because it is oftentimes a gift and it has that connotation of like, this is something special. It's not always special to get a can of Coke or something. I, again, I would never, but you know, well, it's not always special versus the other it's a actor of uh, like, wow, this is really unique and fun and exciting. And it, and it feels good to try these new things and to experience this thing for the first time that I've never been. Um, so I think initially no, kind of how do we balance these two areas, but they see Sort of meld together, really, um, you know, sort of solved itself on the customer side, which is always great to see.
0: What are some sequential things that brands leveraging Snack Magic can do to maximize it? So if they get discovered, you mentioned in Kansas, I think anyone listening knows that in order to be a $100 million brand, you've got to win in the center of America. So if Kansas is in that center, and you're working with conventional grocery stores and your price point's going to be a real big ticket item for you to make or break. What's next for the brand after that?
1: Um, well, I'll, I'll speak from my lens because obviously I don't have as much variance, you know. Um, but on the snack magic side, specifically through CPG and through, you know, our other areas, you can see what your top geographics are down to the cities. So you can see what your top states are, what your top cities are. So if you notice, hey, you know, Topeka is, is booming for me this month. Maybe I should figure out if there's a way that I can take this data and maybe try some specialty retailers, see if there's any small retailers, mom and pop shops that I can take this data to and say, like, hey, look, I'm actually doing really well in your area. Would love to send you a little bit to you know, talk about maybe getting listed, sort of stepwise, break your way into that. Um, and then on Snack Magic specifically, we have a platform called Marketplace, which is just an addition to what we do on the wholesale side, but we integrate with and uh, e-commerce platforms, and we're able to showcase like, their entire portfolio. This is obviously a drop ship channel for brands. So we can add products that are not shelf stable, or maybe that you're not doing because it doesn't make sense for our, our uh, and those consumers who are discovering you who are in those areas that you're not found in can come and repurchase you directly through smack Magic, whether they're getting another treat or they're treating somebody else, they can repurchase you directly and continue building that relationship. And maybe it's something where they become a brand, almost ambassador of yours. They're going like, hey, have you, have this brand, I've, you know, discovered it out of Zach Magic and I keep it." you know, maybe they matriculate to to your own website or something where they're like, you are know, reaching out to you and saying, hey, I'm buying a ton of your product or you notice that my e-commerce, right? Like, who's this person in Topeka that's buying? Um, the, the sequential
0: steps, my view of, of how that builds upon itself. Yeah, I can see that. And by the way, I, the only person I've ever, you're the second person I've ever known. I don't even know the first person who used the word matriculate. And the first person is Boomer, I forget Boomer, whatever his name is, I think is a a Boomer Booger. Booger McFarlane was on Monday Night Football and he'd always say matriculate down the field. Just had to point that out. It's so awesome. Yeah, no, I can definitely see that. And I hope the brands leverage it to help build those stories for them, especially early on. It's so tough. You're not going to launch a brand unless you've been. I've seen founders who have had tremendous experiences starting other brands, exiting who land on shelf the day they launch their brand. They've been working on it on the back end, behind the scenes, and that's good for them. First, I think of Keith Belling from Wright Rice launched day and date in Sprouts nationwide. I think Just Ice Tea just rolled out in a billion stores. Um, and and, then, yeah, and the retailers trust them. But for most brands, especially myself, this is my first time founding a CPG company. I think it's important to get the wins that you can where you can I think there's often conventional wisdom of go very narrow and deep, but narrow and deep there's risk involved in that. And my particular opinion from my experience this past year is that people look narrow and deep. LA has been the hardest for me. Like we're about to finally break through. But I I wanted to go narrow deep in my backyard. And that's typically what every advisor or person that's done it before says. Build in your backyard, deliver the deliveries yourself, be scrappy, pack the boxes. I get that. But for me, I had to pivot. Like I, I couldn't wait on going narrow and deep. And I had to build as many stores as I could, Snack Magic being one of them. Other ones with small wins, drop shipped ones where I'm in the hole, that how fast did they move? Are people loving it? Are they reordering? Like you've got to find those numbers and be as scrappy as possible. Cause it's going to take a lot for someone to take a lot more than just snack magic. Hey, Vasa in Kansas just ordered a hundred, a hundred cans. It's going to be cool, but you need several, you need a lot more than that. So I think that for any, anybody listening, that's looking for advice, my advice, again, only being one year into this is this is one, one twig in a tree. You need a lot more to build up in one slide saying this is working in kansas then you start building out from there what's the dsd or what's the local distributor in kansas and in topeka or like how do i build from that using these insights and i think if people get that down and dirty with the data and think intelligently on how to build it out you don't necessarily have to only build in your backyard
1: yeah no I, i think that was really well said and i also think that at least from what i've seen over the past few years you know for forever it was building your backyard Go to mom and pop stores yourself, like you said, and then there was a little bit of a shift of don't do that initially. Build e-commerce, drive awareness for your brand. You know, ad spend, see if you could drive some traffic to your website. Build out of our you know D 2 C commerce and and sort of prove your metal there. You know, almost leapfrog those mom and pop stores. Like sure, you could be in them, but leapfrog them because you built this crazy D 2 C business and go right. East Coast distribution in Whole Foods or whatever it may be, right? Like, a, um, but now I think there's a little bit of a regression or I shouldn't say regression because it's not negative, but I think people are really like, okay, well, maybe we're not going to be the next in d DTC e-commerce because there's a million of us now. So maybe there is something to be said about, like you said, building that tree and having a lot of different branches and having the mom and pop doing your e-commerce getting into a bunch of different channels and understanding what works for you and what makes sense and who's really, res- who's your brand resonating with and then where to invest in from there. And then you can, I think, go deep, like you said, building your backyard or, you know, but you have to have those other streams so you're not so beholden to one area, which I think is has been happening
0: more more. Yeah, 100%. And I have thoughts on, I don't think going day and date into retail and expecting to win is a responsible conclusion and i don't think that going 100 percent d to c today is a responsible conclusion i think that brands have to do both yeah. at once and i don't say that by like ship a lot of capital here ship a lot of capital here i say be scrappy and do a little bit of both get your data here build your house file here i define that as basically any consumer touchpoint email sms app downloads subscribers affiliates ambassadors group members build that Rolodex so that when you do say, hey, I'm in Whole Foods Northeast, you can take the list of people that are near there and give them a relevant message saying, hey, don't worry about our minimum order quantities. You can now get one can at Whole Foods Northeast. And that I think is personally, that's my strategy. I don't know if that's the only answer. I don't think, surely it's not, but I think that's how I'm going to approach it. That's how I've always approached it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, it makes a lot of sense. And and like you said, I mean, there's a a million strategies and there's a million different can take and and obviously, it's really easy. I think for brands, in particular, new brands, to to see, uh, you know, no. any, any brand. I don't want to name names, but any brand who's doing a hundred million now, who was two years ago, merging brand and said whatever they did, that's the model we're going to follow. But like you said, it, it's not. It doesn't work for everybody, and that's maybe not your audience. And that's maybe not want to work for you, right? So I think it's really easy. You know watching from sidelines and saying like oh i could just do what they did you know plug and play that my model but unfortunately it just doesn't work like that
0: so my brothers taught me this early on i've got five older brothers i'm the youngest of eight and when they taught me how to play baseball or shoot a basketball or throw a football whatever it may have been they always said even when we were just working out they would say never look at somebody else's technique whether it's swinging a bat throwing a baseball football shooting a basketball they said it's going to mess up yours focus on yours and i've taken that those lessons i learned when i was a kid and applied them to this. I don't really care what competitors are doing or other brands are doing that work because you're probably going to try to copy, like everyone right now is probably trying to copy Liquid Death. They're the best marketing team probably on the planet right now, agencies included. Yeah, And everyone's like, I want to be like them. But early on, they probably weren't saying that. You know, it what, what works for them isn't going to work for a cheese cracker, it's not going to work for a chip. It's not going to yeah. work for a lot of things. I think people need to be uniquely themselves, and I think that's the way to go. Whatever that may be, whatever your strengths are, higher for your weaknesses, and just be yourself. I think that's what's going to win moving forward. Not trying to mimic what other people do.
1: Yeah, I think that's great advice. And I think, yeah, like you said, I I don't think people were watching Liquid Death, Seed, like Festival back in the days to work for my my alternative chip channel, right? Or I think so. shit. Yeah. yeah. But now, you know, there's all these these, these young kids who are maybe he can air to swing because he has like a really weak swing. It's like, great. If you're going to be six seven and 2-something, sure, mimic his swing. I'm sure that will work great for you. But if that's not who you are, maybe, you know, that's
0: not the footstep you should follow. I think follow. there's something good in that, though. I think, I think kids, like when I was coming up, everyone wanted to be like Mike, like Michael Jordan or everyone wanted like Bo knows yeah. Bo. And I think yeah. that's okay because you're not quite a peer to them yet. Like peers right now in the industry, you can't copy what somebody else is doing or try to mimic it or be them. You've got to be yourself. It's like nobody in the NBA is trying to be Steph Curry. They're not copying his shot and his form and his technique. He did change the game of basketball, but his peers are trying to be their own superstars. They're not trying to be like Steph Curry. Except for maybe Seth. Maybe Seth. So. That's, that's, those <laughs> are brothers. <laughs> Lillard is himself. Lillard's probably my favorite NBA player. I don't know how he got in the NBA. I'm sorry. But Lillard's, I think, my favorite NBA player. Talk, he's uniquely himself. He, he's got his Dame time thing. Like, yeah, it's just I think brands yeah. can take lessons from sports and try to be uniquely themselves, develop their own technique, well, change the game themselves, the way Liquid Death changed the game for CPG.
1: No, I, I think it's a good analogy. You grew up close, right? Were you a, a trailblazer? I was a
0: Lakers fan until they traded all of the good young players after Kobe, Kobe retired. I actually have my Lakers 30 years of fandom on my Facebook marketplace up for sale right now. As it's been up there for four or five years, but nobody's bought it. It's like a million bucks nice. something. Nice. I was just, I was just, how you got on the, uh, the Dane train. Killer instinct, man. Like I, I love players like Kobe that just have a killer yeah. instinct. They're not your friend on the court. They'll be your friend maybe off the court, but want to murder the game. And that I just, I respect that. I love Yeah.
1: It. Yeah. I think Jimmy Butler has a lot
0: of that too, but. Man, this is going to turn into a sports podcast. <laughs> I know. I was going to say, <laughs> like this. Yeah, we could get I've back got some on track. Stories on that. But let's get back on track. Uh, a couple more questions before yeah, we bounce. Yeah. What is the top product ever on Snack Magic? Oh, man. I yes. The top product, the top
1: product, Snack Magic. Well, I mean, I I know what it is. Um, typically, what I would say is that it's Belgian boys' Stroopwafel. Like, you know they they had a little bit of a production issue and they missed out on some Q four. So it's possible that finger licking Dutch Stroopwafel took over. But I I, I believe that it's probably still bad That's than a waffle. I don't know how what it is and I, I'm sure you've seen it. There's a million Stroopwafels yeah. now. But I think they they took the market by and, there's, and I think the US market was like, what is this? Rip Van Week was as well, right? Yeah. Yeah Rib Van and then they there on our site um, and, and like some of their other skews do really well, maybe even better than their Stroopwafels but What it is about, I mean, Belgian boys, again, great branding, Jing. Um, and something about that soup whether it's like a price point, um,
0: just really work. Make a channel stroop pancake then. Right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna zig. You sure? Um, Belgian, Belgian boys <laughs> though, man, their, their TikTok lo- product launch was so cool with Target. It's, it's got the layer of exclusivity. Oh, great retailer insight from TikTok. For, yeah. And what a move there. That, that's yeah. cereal, the pancake. Yeah. Really baller cool. move. Really cool. All right. Well, good to know for anybody wondering out there, Belgian boys and finger licking Dutch are the top products on snack magic in the history of snack magic. It, it could be a chocolate, it could a chocolate, but we, we all do. Yeah. Um, so that, that probably. My agency has a client that has a candy bar that they call Gigantic and that's a pain in the ass. Yeah. Yeah. We, we work with Gigantic. So stews the man. Yeah. Very, very cool. Interesting flavors. Yeah, H- they've got he's got something up his sleeves coming up. Can't say much, but he's got something up his sleeves. Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Keep another wraps. I was like first time seeing a... Uh, uh bomb. Bomb flavor. But Justin, <laughs> this was awesome. Thanks for the conversation. Thanks for sharing some insights on Snack Magic. Really was a pleasure having you. Get it. Um and of course if anyone has anything here,
1: yeah, any ideas they want to bounce off, feel free to reach I'll link out. To your LinkedIn, Snack Magic's website. I'll put
0: all that good stuff in the show notes. Awesome. Cool. Appreciate it, man. Got Thanks it. for the time.